0: So we invited him to come and to share what the Lord put on his heart, and so we can hear what God is doing in other parts of the world outside of Stillwater. So as a family, let's welcome Rick Zachary. God bless you. Had such a good visit here uh, Friday with Pastor Dale and uh, Teresa. You know, uh, he and I like to go to IHOP. Every, every time I come, that's where we go. We can get the senior discount there. <laughs> and it's like, you know, these two, two old men get together, and I bet we talked for two hours. I had the best time just catching up with him. I love your founding pastor and uh, really enjoy the fellowship, you know, with the aged. I'm one of them now. Um, and then last night I hung out with CJ and Lisa and got to pet the horses, you know, and got to see their kids and beautiful family. Uh, so enjoyed the worship this morning. Uh, you don't always find that kind of devotion to worship, giving time to worship and allowing the presence of the Lord and so enjoyed that. Just so you'll understand what I do, I'm very similar in my, in my strategy uh, for missions, as is this worship team that you saw this morning, um, I'm a church planter. I have discovered that the most effective way to further the kingdom of God is to plant churches, because out of churches emerges all of the gifts of the ministry—evangelism and teaching and prophecy and and all of the gifts. So, so the kingdom grows most effectively through planting local churches. But I've also found that in order to plant a church, you need to plant an effective leader. And so I'm like the guy—I'm like the guy in the plaid shirt and the little hair on his lip back here playing the guitar, you know. I'm like that guy in the background, and I understand that that's your daughter and your son-in-law leading worship. Is that right? Beautiful worship team uh, that—that's presented on the front of that platform. But in order for that to happen, there needs to be an old dude in the back playing the guitar who knows a little bit. (laughs) Who's kind of laid the foundation. All the values that he's poured into his daughter, the values of worship, the values of the Lord, the values, all of that is in her. And so he's put her forward with her husband and presented a worship package that leads us all into the presence of the Lord. Well, that's how I plant churches. I find a young man, and I put my values and the Lord's values into him. I build around him an effective team. I build around him the values of loving his wife and caring for his family and his children. And I put him up on the platform and provide for him a way to effectively minister to people. So I plant churches by coaching young men. You got it? It's really simple. And the Lord has helped Beverly and I in the last 15 years to do some uh, uh, very interesting works in South Asia. That is Nepal, India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, uh, where we've been able to plant a number of significant churches that I'll share with you about uh, this morning. But I so enjoyed the presence Lord, I pre- uh, of the Lord. I appreciate what you've done, brother, to lay that foundation, acknowledge that, and understand what it took and see the value of it, and uh, so enjoyed that. You know, still water is a little bit uh, out of the, off the beaten track. Um, <laughs> but what a still water I enjoyed this morning. You know, sometimes you have to go out of your way to find still water. Amen? And uh, the journey here for me was well worth it. Uh, I've been refreshed already. If you'd like, uh, you can visit my book table after the service. I have three books out there. Uh, One is a book on leadership called The Master of Relationship. And I've sold over 20,000 copies of that book. It's available in Spanish and English. And many churches have used it to help train their leaders. It's a study about how Jesus used relationship to train his disciples and to make leaders out of them. The other book is The Power of Your Destiny. I'm sorry, I only have two copies left. Uh, it's a young adult book. It's very good for young people as they're walking through their early 20s and trying to figure out how to make decisions in life. I do have uh, copies of the uh, audio version out there, uh, but the, I sold a whole box full of those things at the last church I was in, so I almost ran out. Sorry about that. And then the third book is actually a piece of women's fiction. Everybody say women's fiction. So the guys all just tuned out. Uh <clears throat> But in college, I was a a literature major, and uh, when I came to the Lord and began to follow the Lord, I just gave up all of that, but I always wanted to write. And so when I turned uh, 60, I thought, if I don't do it now, I'll never do it. So I wrote actually a, uh, it's not a Christian book, it's a secular book, but the values of Christianity underlie it. You know, all of my friends are Christians. Everyone I associate with are Christian. I work with leaders. I, sometimes I get tired of just hanging around Christians. And like Joseph, I wanted my bow to run, you know, my vine to run over the wall. And I wanted to get my influence out into the world a little bit. So I wrote a book uh, about the Lord, but it's kind of, you have to kind of read between the lines to find it. I wrote it under a pseudonym, Carrie Richard. Carrie's my middle name. Uh, Richard's my first name. Uh, because I didn't want to be identified as a Christian writer. And uh, lo and behold, this year it won three uh, publishing awards, uh, book of the year for uh, one, and uh, silver medalist for uh, independent publishers. So I'm real excited about that. It's beginning to gain some traction. But it's a story about forgiveness. And what a person walks through when they determine to forgive someone of a major offense. You know, I can promise you that sometime in your life, if you have dared to love, you will also find the necessity to forgive. Love is an inevitable part of human experience. And if love is an inevitable part of our life, then forgiveness is also inevitable. Because human beings, I don't know why, tend to disappoint one another. How many of you have discovered that? And unless we learn how to forgive... And how to use forgiveness to deepen a relationship will not have fulfilling relationships in our lives. So that's what the book's about. A few uh, women have been able to convince their husbands to read it, and those that have have enjoyed it, but it's a little bit difficult to get them hooked. Uh, But anyway, take a look at it, and if you like, you can pick up a copy. Let's pray together, and uh, we'll open God's Word this morning. Father, I thank you for your Word that is high above all things. For that word that will deepen our walk with you and, and increase our love for you. May we learn something today that we would never forget about you, about your kingdom, and about your values in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to look with you in the Bible, please, to uh, with, into the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Very, very common verse. I've seen this on coffee mugs in Christian bookshops all over the world. Uh, I have a coffee mug myself with this uh, scripture on it, or I had one. I dropped it and broke the handle. But uh, Jeremiah 29, verse 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. I have discovered that God does indeed have plans for us. But just to think that He has plans is not enough to understand the nature of that plan. In order for God's plan to be fulfilled in your life, you must understand not only that He has a plan, but the nature of His intentions. And it says here that I have plans for you. They are for good and not for disaster. I have found that many uh, people in the world... Uh, Most people in the world and many believers have this misconception that God is waiting for them to somehow make a mistake so that he can pound them into the ground and, and curse them for their inadequacies and their failures and somehow punish them for their sins. And though we are punished for the mistakes we make because of those mistakes, not because of him, his intention for us is not punishment or destruction or suffering. His intention for us is that we might have his good plan, not a disaster. So in order to really understand God, you must understand his intention. He has no intention that your life be disastrous, that you be a failure, that you struggle in life, that you have disappointments and, and, and depression and those things that hold you back. His intention for you is a good plan, not a disastrous plan. His intention for you is to bring His goodness and to give you a future and a hope. So in order to see His plans, we must understand His intentions. Now, I have seven grandchildren. Um, My oldest son has a lot of kids. He's got five. And four of those kids are girls. There's way too much estrogen in that house. But those girls love to compete for my attention. And I use their envy against one another, you know, uh, to, to win that affection. I have a competition for Beverly. I'm determined that all of the grandchildren will love me more than Beverly. And uh, so far it's working pretty good because I always keep candy in my pocket. And, you know, she doesn't know it, but I cheat. <clears throat> but one little girl is named Lucy. She's five years old. And... Uh, A few months ago, I was at my oldest son's house, and I was sitting on the couch with the two oldest girls in my lap, and they were cuddling on me, and they liked to pinch my cheeks, you know, and and, uh, kiss on me, and Lucy came and tried to climb up in my lap, but the other girls kept pushing her away, and so her little bottom lip started quivering, and she started crying, and she ran out of the room. And I thought, great, just what I need, you know, more drama. And uh, so I was about to get the girls out of my lap and get up and go get her out of her bedroom. And just before I got up, she came running out of the room wearing this beautiful Cinderella dress, you know, with her little tiara and little sequins and, and little slippers, Cinderella slippers. And she came running into the room and she held her dress out like this and she curtsied in front of me and she said, Papa, will you marry me? (laughs) And for a moment, I was struck. I didn't know what to say. I mean, it's not really appropriate, you know, to (laughs) accept that invitation. And then I realized, you know, she's five years old. She has no idea of what it means to marry someone. All she knows is that when you love someone so much that your heart is bursting within you, that's the person you marry. And by her saying that, she was saying that I admire you more than anyone else. That my love for you is, is the kind of love that I would want to marry. And so I looked at Lucy and I said, Lucy, of course I'll marry you. And their sisters got angry. The older ones folded her arms and said, that's not fair. She can't marry you. And the other one said, I wanted to marry you. And then there was another fight. <laughs> And, of course, I enjoyed every minute of it. <laughs> Lucy loves to play child games. She loves to play hide-and-seek. She'll call me into her bedroom and say, Papa, count to ten, cover your eyes. And I'll cover my eyes, count to ten. And she'll hide always in the closet, every time. <laughs> but I'll pretend like I don't know where she is. And I'll look under the bed and I'll say, Is she here? I'll, I'll look all through the room and calling her name. And I can hear the giggling increasing. you know, in in volume, in the closet. Finally, I'll run to the closet and I'll fling open the door and I'll say, Aha! I got you! And she'll squeal and she'll run and grab me around the legs and, and uh, she'll say, Oh, Papa! And she'll jump up and down. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. And again, she'll hide in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, God calls us His children. And this is the first problem we encounter when we think of God's plans. Because God sees things in a totally different point of view from how we see them. Lucy thinks that she can marry me. Well, then we know that's not possible. Lucy thinks that she can hide in the closet and giggle and I won't know that she's in there. Well, we know that that's not possible. Lucy thinks that I'll forget she hid in the closet last time. And in the same way, Lucy's little mind is limited because of her experience. In the same way, our minds are limited because of our point of view and our experience. And just as Lucy is so far from me in understanding, so I am far from God in His understanding. And the things that I try to understand about God are like Lucy trying to understand me. There's a great division or gulf between us in understanding. But yet I find great pleasure in getting down at Lucy's level and having a relationship with her. It's not a relationship that's built on understanding or knowledge or wisdom. It's a relationship that's built on love for one another. And as we begin to know the Lord, these things we must understand. That we are like Lucy. We're like his children. He has a point of view that gives him huge advantages over us. And as we trust that point of view, we begin to discover his goodness for our lives. So I'm going to teach you this morning four values I have learned about God. And this first value, I want to help illustrate. Watch this video with me, and I'll, I'll help illustrate to you exactly what I'm talking about. We're going to travel away from earth in this video. And you'll see certain markers along the way to illustrate the passage of time. We'll travel at the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second. That's really, really fast. I've got a little red Jeep parked in the parking lot. It took me 10 years to put 110,000 miles on it. Light travels 186,000 in one second. So if you leave earth and travel at the speed of light, you would have to travel at 186,000 miles per second for 70 years to reach the extent of humanity's first radio broadcast. And you're still hardly at the edge of of our solar system. You would have to travel... At the speed of light, in order to see the Milky Way galaxy. When you go out at night, you look up in the stars, in the heavens, all the stars you see are in our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy. There are over 200 billion stars in our galaxy. And in order to pull away from Earth far enough to see that view, to see the Milky Way galaxy you would have to travel at 186,000 miles per second for 100,000 years. Hello? Pastor CJ, if you left today, you wouldn't make it, brother. You just wouldn't make it. God's creation is unfathomable. It's beyond our imagination. Scientists say that uh, the extent of what they call the known universe from one edge to the other is about 50 billion light years in that known universe there are over a hundred billion galaxies and in each galaxy over 200 billion stars now if you can do the numbers and put all those zeros together and explain all that to me have at it but it's beyond understanding scientists themselves look out from their with our little radio telescopes and our spectrometers and our uh, you know uh, microwave measurements they understand how much how large the visible or the known universe is but out beyond that there's something else that that is unknown and they describe it as a curtain of light they don't really know what it is But they say they think it's the remnant of light that is remaining from creation's event, what they call the Big Bang. The best way they can figure it out. Now, I personally believe in the Big Bang. I figure when God said, Light be, there was a pretty big bang. (laughs) What do you think? Yeah. Somewhere out there, there's something we don't know. Here's my point. The first thing you must understand about God is God sees big. He sees the big picture. And if God has a plan for you, and He's able to build this universe, this world, that is so far beyond our imagination, that we have difficulty describing how amazing, how intricate, how detailed, how focused must be His plans for your life. If God has a plan, and He says, I have a good plan for you, and we can look at an ununderstandable creation and, and compare that to His plan and the way He do's thing, does things. Mississippi just came out there. Surely He must have an amazing plan for us. So four values I'm going to teach you. The first value is God sees big. Say that with me. God sees big. The second value I want you to see is in Second Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9. 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God literally peers down from his 50 billion light year creation, peers down upon earth and searches through earth for people like Rick Zachary and people like CJ and people like you people that he can show himself strong to. And this is the second thing we find about God because when we see that God sees big when we describe his greatness we have a problem. If he's so big and so far away and so amazingly intelligent beyond us, how can we connect to him? And that's where the mystery of God begins to begins to be revealed. And our second value. First God sees big, But second, God has this capacity within himself to see small, to see the minute, to pick out that person in the multitude and somehow have a personal, engaging, interested, detailed relationship with them. God sees big, God sees small. Say that with me. God sees big, God sees small. I'm going to watch a video with you and I'll tell you a story as we watch it. And it'll help you to illustrate how the Lord can find things uh, that we can't sometimes see. About seven years ago, uh, I flew from our ministry base in southern Nepal to the city of Jumla. Jumla is way up in the mountains, uh, western part of the country, very isolated city. At that time, the only way in was to walk or to fly. From Jumla, I hiked over a ridge, 13,000-foot ridge, uh, about 11 hours, and, and reached a village uh, there in the Karnali River Valley. And I met a group of blind children. There were about 30 of them at the time, and, and uh, they had been supported by a United Nations organization. One of those children was a young man named Deepnath. Later on, I began to help those children, and uh, we built a home for them. We bought land. and. And uh, we brought rocks up from the, from the river. Uh, we brought cement from Five Days Journey uh, down. And we actually built a home for them. And we now are caring for 17 of those children. We've cared for them now for six years. Uh, we provided schooling for them and f- food and clothing. And, and we've built a blind children's home way up in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I was there just a few months ago. So these children are flourishing now, but in that moment when I met them, they were living in very poor conditions. And there was one of them uh, there at the school whose name was Donsing. And uh, he was about 16 years old at the time. And he traveled with us to visit villages where we preached the gospel. Went to six villages and he carried his own pack. He had a stick that he would use to find his way along the trail And he walked on rocky trails that many of you would be afraid to walk on, blind. It amazed me. Every night we slept in Nepali homes, little uh, mud houses with grass roofs. And and one night we were sitting around a fire and someone asked him, Dancing, how did you lose your sight? He said, when I was a child, about two years of age, I had an eye infection in both eyes. There's no medical care in that area, no facilities. He said, so my mom and dad took me to a local shaman, and he mixed hot uh, oil with herbs and poured that hot concoction into my eyes, and from that treatment, my infection worsened and I lost my sight. One of the Nepalese became angry, and he said, we need to find that guy that did that. We need to to look for him. We need to bring him to the authorities, and, and he needs to pay for what he's done because he stole your eyes. And I'll never forget what Donsing did. Reached across that fire and found that guy's knee, put his hand on his knee. And he said, brother, I've let it go. You should let it go too. And I learned in that moment what it means to forgive. And I decided when I heard those words come out of that young man's mouth, I decided right then around that fire at about 9,000 feet on a dark, dark night, at about 45 degrees temperature I said I'm going to help that boy I'm going to serve him I'm going to make his life a better life and I gave myself my heart my, my commitment I've made a covenant within my heart to take care of dancing. here's my point Dancing lives in a village that's not even named on a map you can't find it on Google Earth you'll never find his home he lives in a place that requires 11 hours hiking just to reach where he lives. And from there, further hiking to explore his valley. Dancing is unknown and no one knows or is aware of him. But yet, somehow the Lord led a 60-year-old bald-headed pastor from Mississippi and caused him to sit on a dark night across the fire from this young man and hear his story. And cause tears to come to his eyes and his heart to go out across that fire and to say, I will help this man. If God can look down from heaven and find dancing and orchestrate the events of my life through decades of life experience and somehow connect us together and to meet dancing's need, surely the Lord knows where you are right now. Surely He can look down from His place on the edge of eternity and see you in your little chair in your little church in your little town of Stillwater, Oklahoma. Surely He knows about you. God sees big, but God sees small. Let me show you another video. It's kind of the same story, but it helps to strengthen and, uh, this value because this is a very important value for us to learn. In 1995, I had the privilege at a large church where I worked as mission pastor to write uh, prayer profiles for the 1,720 most unreached people groups on the earth. And we wrote these little four-page pamphlets that were designed to promote prayer for the unreached peoples. We published those and spread them all over the country. Hundreds of thousands of those pamphlets went out. One of the people groups we prayed for were the Taru people. They live in southern Nepal and in northern India. At the time we made those prayer profiles, there were no known Taru believers, none. Ten years later, 2005, I found myself sitting on the floor with about 18 young teenagers around me in Nepal, Gunch, Nepal. And I taught them for four days. Everything I knew about the ministry. We spent 10 hours, 12 hours a day together. And with those 18 young men, most of them barely, only teenagers, 16 to 18, 19 years of age, we planted 18 churches among the Tauru people. One of those young boys was a little young man who was at that time 17 years old in drev. Indadrev now pastors a church of Taru believers. Just a few years ago, we dedicated his building, his first building. It'll seat 500 people. He has 20 churches under his supervision, about 2,000 or 2,500 people that he oversees as a pastor. When I prayed for him over that building, uh, I began to talk to him about the things he would need to change in order to bring his church up to a thousand believers. And he began weeping. I said, Enderdrev, why are you weeping? He said, Pastor, before you came, I said to myself, whatever Pastor Rick tells me, I'm going to accept as the word of the Lord. And he said, when you told me I would pastor a thousand in this church, he said, I knew that that was my next faith goal. And he said, I will pastor a thousand. Now, here's my point. In 1995, when we laid that prayer profile on the floor in our office and we all stood around it and we prayed for the Taru people, Inder was seven years old. He was a little boy, barefoot, hardly any clothes, in a little village that no one knows about. But yet in that moment, somehow, God connected my heart to him. And ten years later, as I sat across from him, as I prayed for him, as I literally washed his feet and sent him out to plant that church, he began to do a great work. There's now in that young man a vision to pastor a church of a thousand. There's a vision to plant tens of scores of churches along in the valley in which he lives and to oversee those churches. Indre Drev has a building right now that's full of 500 people worshiping the Lord and a vision to grow that church to a thousand. In 1995, Endedrev was just a little boy. But in 1995, God looked down from heaven and saw him and took interest in him. And over those next 10 years, literally orchestrated the events of my life to bring me together with Endedrev in partnership with him. God sees big, God sees small. By the way, the blind boy I told you about dancing. about two years ago he married a, a young lady, also one of our blind children. She's also totally blind. Her name is uh, Pankali. Dancing and Pankali were married in one of our churches. Last year I was in Nepal and dancing and Pankali had their first child, a little girl. And I was of concerned about the child. Can she see? I asked all the leaders and they said, Pastor, we don't know. We're afraid to ask. And so I hired a Jeep. It was a day journey to reach where they were staying at that time. And I went up there and the first thing I asked them is, Can the baby see? They said, Yes, Pastor, she can see just fine. The doctor said she's okay. But I wanted to make sure she was only three or four days old, and I knew that if we took her outside, she was in a dark little house, if we took her outside and uh, uncovered her face, then she would fight against the sun if her eyes, if she could see. So we took her outside and I had my camera and was looking through the camera lens to get pictures. And when they pulled the cover back from the, girl, the baby's face, the little girl shied away from the light so I knew that she could see. But as I was looking for, through that lens, it's like I saw that baby's life unfold before me. I saw her when she was 2 or 3 years old and beginning to walk. She would hold her father's finger and and walk with him and lead him through the village and daddy watch out there's a dog lying there there's a stone here be careful. She would become her father's eyes. When she's 5 or 6 she'll play tricks no doubt on her mom and dad. You would, wouldn't you? I mean if you <laughs> if your parents were blind, you would move the, you know, the the cell the mobile phone or or you would, you know, Move furniture around and and giggle when they stumbled over it? Of course. Or she'll be out in the yard and her mother will call her. Uh, darling, it's time to come in and she'll be quiet and still because she knows as long as she doesn't make a sound, her mother won't know where she is. You can be sure she'll do those things. But you can be sure too when she's 18 or 19 or 20 years of age that her mother and father will lead her down the aisle of a church, and they'll give away their very eyes to someone else, a gift that could be no greater. Life is such an amazing thing, and love is an amazing thing, and the things we do because we love one another is sometimes overwhelming. They asked me to help name the baby, and I didn't know what to name it, you know, something out of the Bible, Mary or Sarah or something like that. And I said, I don't know. Let me think about it. So I asked my leaders, what can we name the child? They said, Pastor, name her Rosani. I said, what does that mean? They said, it means one who guides with light. So we named her Rosani. Rosani. I have relationships and friends people that I have known and love that I never dreamed in my wildest dreams I would know and love. One of them is dancing and pincali and rosani. Somehow God connected my heart to them. God sees big. God sees small. The third thing we must understand about God is that God sees many. God sees many. You see, the Lord is not interested in a little kingdom. He's interested in a big kingdom. There will come a time when we'll stand on the sea of glass among people that cannot be numbered. God sees multitudes. Psalms 102 verse 22 says, And so the Lord's fame will be celebrated in Zion. His praises in Jerusalem when multitudes gather together and kingdoms come uh, to worship the Lord. Watch this video with me and I'll tell you a story about multitudes that I have discovered. It's a conference we held in Nepal 2012. We had 9,000 people there. All of these people who gathered were church members from our churches. At that time, we had about 140 churches. We now have 184 churches, representing about 15,000 believers. 99% of these believers are first-generation Christians coming out of Hindu and Buddhist backgrounds. Many, many of them are tarus who, as I told you in 1995, there were no Taru believers. Multitudes have come to Christ in these last eight years in western Nepal. And what you're seeing here is just a tiny representation of what God is doing to draw multitudes. Now, as you watch this video, you'll see an elderly woman, leathery face, there she is, heavy jewelry, She's going through motions and she's smiling. That very moment when, she was, when that shot was taken, I was standing on the platform. And I was teaching our people a scripture. Most of our believers there are illiterate. They can't read or write. And I love to teach them scriptures to, get the, to help them have something to walk away with. And I like to give them uh, motions that help them to memorize. And so I was teaching her at that very moment, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. And then we would do a karate kick. The whole crowd. Well, she was too old for the karate kick. But she did all of the other motions, memorizing the Word of God. And I often watch this video and I, I single out faces that I recognize and remember. And I think about each one of those faces because each one of those faces represent a a new believer in the kingdom of God. And I often think of that old woman because I believe on that day that surely the Lord must have looked down from his 50 billion year, light year universe. Surely he must have looked down and seen that dear old sister memorizing his word. And surely he must have found great pleasure in seeing that sister, worshiping him. That woman is at the end of her life. She has worshiped idols her entire life. For thousands of years of culture, some say as many as 5,000 years of culture in the Indus River Valley, her ancestors have worshiped and bowed their knees and their faces to idols. She's one of the first Christians in her entire village and in her entire family for 5,000 years of culture. Surely the Lord finds pleasure in that one woman. God sees big. God sees small. God sees many. And He desires many. But yet He has this amazing capacity That just as the camera zeroed in on that one woman in a crowd of 9,000 and you now have seen her and will forever remember her face, so the Lord has the ability to focus in on the minute details of your life. And this brings us to point number four, that you must understand about God. And that that is that God sees all. Psalms Psalms 33 verse 13 Says the Lord looks down from heaven and sees the whole human race. From his throne he observes all who live on the earth. He made their hearts, so he understands everything they do. You can't hide from the Lord. He knows what you're thinking this very moment, He knows what you argued about with your husband on the way to church this morning. <laughs> He knows your frustrations. He knows the disappointments of your life. He knows the victories and the joys. He knows everything about you. And though He knows the most grave sins and the most grievous things you have done as you have walked through life, yet He does not condemn you. Though He sees everything, He does not have bad intentions for us. Though he knows the failures and the disappointments and the betrayals that we have done and have had done to us, yet he has good plans and good intentions for us. When the woman came to Christ, caught in adultery, he looked at her and uh, he said, where are your accusers? And she said, there are none, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. Now, he did judge her because he pointed out that she had sinned but he did not condemn her. There is a good thing when we fall under judgment because judgment brings us to a place where we can be delivered and not fall into condemnation. I can promise you this, that though God knows everything about you, his intention is not to condemn you, not to destroy you, not to dismantle your life, but rather he has good plans for you, plans for good, and not for disaster. Amen? Let's bow our heads together. God sees big. God sees small. God sees many. God sees all. May you forever remember those values. May they become the values of your relationship with Him. If you say, Pastor Rick, this morning I have to be honest with you, um... There are some things in my life that remain secret. Uh, There are some things that I have buried. There are some things I'm ashamed of. There are sometimes uh, things that have separated me from the Lord. I have to say in all honesty, I'm not really right with God this morning. And I do carry shame in my heart. And I do know that He knows about it, but I've been afraid to just bring it out. He already knows you might as well get it out. And if that's you this morning, you say, Pastor, I've got some unconfessed sin, unconfessed failures. I have some habits that have strangled my relationship with God, and I'm ashamed to come before Him because of those secrets that I carry. Some carry secrets because of what they have done. Others carry secrets because of what was done to them. But secrets always hinder us in our faith and in our walk with God. Now what I'm asking you is a very personal question. And I'm not going to single you out or embarrass you. I'm not even going to call you forward. Because this is between you and the Lord. If you say, Pastor, this morning I have to say, I have a secret. And it's hindering me from my walk with God. And I need your prayer. If that's you, very quietly, very quickly, just raise your hand up so I can see it. And I want to pray for you. Anyone here? Quickly. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Let's all stand together. were just a few hands that went up, but those were important hands. I'm going to ask you all to lift your hands together with me. I'm going to pray over you as a congregation. And then uh, I'm also going to pray on those who lifted their hands. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for those that have carried in their hearts the burden of shame. May they be delivered from your, by your word from their shame. And may the values they have learned this morning, may they carry those values with them. That you see big, you see small, you see many, and you see all. And yet you have good intentions. Father, they would begin from this day to make the right decisions, to be honest and transparent with you and with others. That they would confess their faults to their friends and confess their sins to you. That they might be delivered, that they might be healed. Father, give them that courage, give them that commitment, and give them those values, I pray. And Lord, I pray over this congregation that in this place and in this city they might truly become still water for many souls. That you would bring multitudes into this place that they might stand beside still water. And that, Father, they might be refreshed and find deliverance of their souls. Father, may this congregation grow and become a multitude, for that is your dream and your desire for every church, that they might become a multitude within their cities, that they might encompass, Lord, uh, those who stand without the walls. Father, give them ways to reach over the walls and branches and fruit that will reach outside of their own uh, community here and embrace this community. Father, give them great fruit. Continue to bless, Lord, the work of this ministry. we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, church. God bless you. Pastor. To, uh, we have our special offering box out in the hallway, and it has Rick Zachary's name on it. And so if you'd like to sow into his ministry and, and just bless him, just make a check out to New Covenant Fellowship. You can put his name in the, in the bottom and put it in that box. Um, or actually you can put it in any box on the wall, but just put his name in the memo and then everything that, that you guys give, we'll make sure we give it to him. Okay. So I just wanted to bring that to your attention so you don't forget. Uh, Cause I know many of you do have intentions to do that. And, um, God bless you. You guys have a wonderful week and we'll see you next time. Thank you.